in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 40, Luke describes the beginning of the church in Philippi. Now, here's just a couple fascinating facts. So let me just remind you of a couple things. You know, this was, a, this was a church that was very special in Paul's heart because Paul was there when it started. If you remember the story, now, also, just to kind of remind you what makes this unique, this is the very first Christian church in Europe. That was an interesting fact to me. But this was the place where Paul, as he and Silas, but the two people that I'd forgotten were also with them. Not only was it Paul and Silas, but it was Luke and Timothy that were there at this same time. If you read Acts chapter 16, Luke says, we were there. And earlier in the text, it says, I picked up Timothy and brought him with us, which of course maybe in your mind raises the same question that Cindy then immediately asked me. She said, so what happened, to, what happened to Luke and Timothy? Why didn't they get in jail? And the Bible tells us that, <coughs> that the crowd took Paul and Silas. I don't know if they just snatched the two closest or what they did. Paul had come to Philippi and he met a lady named Lydia who sold the dye that made um, Twyla's scarf this morning. And Lydia was a businesswoman, and the ladies would meet down by the river, and they would pray together. And Paul met them, and God used his word through the Apostle Paul to speak to Lydia's heart. And Lydia received the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior, as well as others. And Paul, as he was teaching in that city, began um, noticing that there was a demon-possessed girl who would follow them around and would say, these are the servants of the Most High God. And the scriptures tell us that Paul became so grieved in his heart over what was happening to this girl. Here was this girl who was totally dominated by satanic activity. And this girl, we don't understand all that she was doing, but we know that what she did was so interesting to the people, they would pay money for that. And so several men came together and bought her and they were using her to make money. And as she was going around saying, oh, these are the servants of the Most High God, the Apostle Paul was so grieved in his heart that he turned and he cast the demon out of her. And she couldn't do what she had always done before. And it made the men so angry that they took Paul and Silas and threw them into jail and for fear that, and they were told, do not let these two escape. So they took Paul's feet and Silas's feet and put them into stocks. So after having been beaten, now his back is beginning to harden back up again. And so every time he moves from that stretched position to just kind of move around, things would break open again, like an owie on your back would sometimes get sores on it. And if you break a scab, how that hurts? Well, that's exactly what would happen to Paul and Silas. So what happened was is that as these men were there and their feet were in stocks so they couldn't move themselves around, they had to stay seated where they were, the most amazing thing was happening. Most people would be angry and bitter because they had been mistreated, they had been unjustly jailed, and you would think, what, what would a person like that be like? 
angry, bitter. And so at midnight, when the jail should have been calming down, you hear these two men singing and praying and rejoicing in the Lord. Enough so that all the other prisoners were hearing what Paul was doing, and God sent an earthquake. Isn't this a great way to start a church? God sends an earthquake. And in that earthquake, the doors fall off the hinges of the jail. Now, something else you need to know. As a jailer, if you lost a prisoner, you became the prisoner. Since they could not try the prisoner, they would give you the worst punishment possible, and that is they would kill you as a jailer. So, when the earthquake happens, the jailer gets up, he sees all the doors off of the jail, and the jailer is going to kill himself so that he doesn't go through the torture of what the Roman government was going to do to him. And Paul calls out and says, don't hurt yourself, we're all here. What an amazing thought, that everyone who had been hearing Paul and Silas sing and pray, stayed to see what was going to happen. No one escaped. The jailer comes in. He hears what they've been doing, and he says, what do I need to have what you have? What do I need to do to be saved? And Paul tells him the gospel. And not only did the jailer get saved that night, but everyone in the jailer's family got saved that night. Word gets out. At this point, the leaders of the city Learned a couple of things. One, Paul is a Roman. You don't beat Romans without a, a legal defense that's taken place. Those men who had had Paul beaten should have been beaten. So when they find out about that, they find out that the doors have fallen off the jail. They find out that none of the, none of the prisoners tried to escape. The people, the um, officials in the city told the jailer, just, just let them go. And Paul said... We're not going anywhere. You unjustly beat us. You've done what's against the law. We're going to be here for a little while. And Paul started the church. Boy, every year, wouldn't that be a fun anniversary service when you sit down and you talk about that and you go, oh, you remember that one? And about that time, the jailer stands up and he goes, oh, I was there. I heard that. I saw that. And the jailer's son says, oh, I got saved that night. And you hear all these other people. Well, Paul stayed with Lydia for a couple days then before he left. What a great way to start a church. This is the relationship Paul had with the the Philippian church. This letter in and of itself is a missionary thank you note. It's not intended to be a big doctrinal treatise, but we are going to find some amazing doctrine in here that just kind of was the way Paul talked. Now, as Paul is writing this, he's writing it from Rome. This is one of the last letters, one of the last epistles that he's going to write. At the time of the writing of this, Paul is chained to a Roman guard, 24-7. Every six hours, a new guard 
would be chained to him and the other guy would be released from him. With all this now that's happened in his life. Now remember, he was, Scripture tells us he was imprisoned at least four times. This is one of the short ones that happened in Acts chapter 16. It was just for a day or so. Then there are long times, two years of imprisonment. And then he talks about other imprisonments. So we know Paul was imprisoned multiple times, more than just four. Now, knowing all of that, Paul is writing from Rome back to the people that lived in Philippi, and we call them Philippians because they were people who lived in Philippi. Knowing that, Paul writes... And he says, oh, thank you so much for what you've sent to me. He said, I am so thankful for you. And Paul is talking about the joy that he has in his life. And as we begin this study, we're going to look at how to have joy. And Paul's going to address some things just inadvertently through this, well, inadvertently is really a wrong term because it's on purpose. God, God had him do it on purpose. He's going to talk about how can you have joy when things steal your joy. Do you know in our lives, circumstances will steal our joy. Things, can, things happen to us and we're just so disappointed. It steals our joy. Sometimes people do things that can steal our joy. And to be fair, probably sometimes we've done some things that stole other people's joy too, right? Paul addresses the fact that sometimes stuff, our things, can steal our joy. And then he's going to give us one other thing which kind of combines the things together. And I, I've taken chapters 1, 2, 4, and then I come back to chapter 3. And Paul says, you can have joy. And I'm really excited to do this series with you because I want you to have joy every day. I didn't say that you, would have, that you wouldn't have things that would make you sad. What I love about Christianity is Christianity is honest. Christianity does not tell you that you will not have problems. In fact, Jesus very specifically said, in this world, you will have problems. But be of good cheer. You will have problems, so be of good cheer. Why do we have joy? Galatians chapter 5 tells us that because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, that a manifestation, a fruit of the Spirit is joy. Now with that in mind, I want us just to read verses 1 and 2, and that's all we'll do today. Now, the rest of the wagon would have taken you to verse 11, okay? But we're just going to unload the front half of the wagon. In fact, maybe the first quarter of the wagon this morning, okay? 
Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want you to notice is Paul defines a couple things for us very quickly. Notice what does Paul say his occupation is. Paul says, I'm the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was a highly educated man. Paul had had great positions, but Paul says, here's the thing I want you to remember about me, and it's on this that the entire book is going to be built, okay? I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. What makes Paul successful or not successful is totally dependent on how well he does at being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of us, if we've received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we all come from different backgrounds. Most of us have different occupations. We have different homes. We come from different backgrounds. Maybe we have different, you can fill in the blank. But if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his family and you are his servant. And he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Sometimes people choke at that word saint. Either if your background has been in some kind of a, a legal, reformed religion, you would think about statues on walls. You would think of people that have been put on medallions that you wear. But a saint is a sinner that is in Christ Jesus. A holy one who is not holy but is holy. He's not holy because he's a sinner, he's a human. He is holy because he is in Christ, and in Christ we have Christ's righteousness. So Paul says, I'm writing to you who are the saints. You know, it's so easy to get so distracted. Can I just remind you of one really incredible title you have today, and that is, you are a saint. If you've been following in the news, you're finding that the royal family over in England, they're still, it is just so messy. Now, William gets a new title, Harry lost titles. What I want you to know this morning, you can rejoice in you have a title. You are a saint, not because of who you are, but because who you're in, Jesus Christ. And then he describes the only people he really talks about, he says, with the bishops and deacons. Now, those are the two offices that we have in a, in a local church, which doesn't surprise us then that these would be offices he would address. A bishop is the overseer, the one who is watching over the flock, and the deacons are the ones who are serving the flock. And you put these two together, and he says, I'm writing to all of the saints, and, and I don't think he was excluding pastors and deacons from being saints, I think he was just specifically drawing attention to them. Some of you maybe have met pastors that you wondered if they were a saint or not, or maybe a deacon that you said, oh, that person doesn't act very saintly. That's not what he was saying. But let's come to verse 2. And in verse 2, we read this. Grace be to you and peace. Grace and peace 
where do you get your grace and where do you get your peace? And he says, grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Those two words are the two that I want us to focus on this morning very, for the, for the just literally few moments that we have. The two things that we have that every day we need to be taking, we need to be using, grace and peace. Grace is enablement. Grace is ability. Peace is freedom from fear. We often feel like we just can't do it. And what I want you to know is that's a true statement. In, in, our, in our own strength, we can't do it. But God says, grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. Could we get saved on our own? The answer is no. It's God's enablement that allows us to be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift. And today, that's an important thing for us to remember. You have God's supernatural enablement. It was grace for salvation, and it's grace for accomplishing everything God's placed before you. Some of you live in very difficult circumstances. God's grace is sufficient. The Apostle Paul wanted a circumstance to be changed in his life, and he asked, and then he asked just in case God had missed it, and then he asked again just in case God didn't think that he was serious about it or for whatever reason, and God said, no, Paul, I'm going to let you have this difficulty in your life because my grace my supernatural enablement is sufficient. My grace, in fact, is made complete in weakness. Because when you think you are strong, you're going to be weak. Why? Because you're not taking of God's grace. God's enablement is enough for anything that you need to do today. And sometimes we go into something and we'd say, I don't have it, God. There's not enough grace here. And so God says, well... How much more do you need? I have this happen all the time with Zach. Zach will be flying, and all of a sudden, Zach will call me and goes, Oh, Dad, I'm sorry. I need another book. I'm working on instruments, and I've got to have another book for this class. And I said, Okay, well, how much is it? He'll go, Dad, I'm going to be flying, and I'm going to be flying X number of hours, and it's X number of dollars per hour. Dad, I'm going to need more money in my account. And I say... How much is it? You see, grace is the fact Zach doesn't have the money. But Zach can have the money. Do you see it? And if an imperfect dad can do that and say, okay, how much more do you need? And then he calls back and says, well, I didn't, I didn't see this coming. I need this much more. And then he calls back and he says, well, Dad, I need this much more. You see, he has it, but he doesn't have it. Do you get it? He doesn't, have, he doesn't have the money, but he does have the money. Why? Because his dad has said, I will help you. 
Now, if an imperfect dad can do that, think about an almighty God who you say, God, I can't do this. And he says, okay, how much more do you need? Well, I, I need to be able to do this today. And God says, okay, here's the grace you need. And you say, I didn't ask for enough, God. And he goes, okay, how much more do you need? You see, there is nothing today that God is asking you to do that God is not willing to empower you to do. I so loved it. A friend of mine gave me a little plaque. When I left my home and went to a foreign country called Iowa. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. That's the exciting thing. He begins and he says, grace. Grace to you. You're hurting today. You're suffering today. You're saying, I can't make it today. And Paul says, God's got his billfold out. How much more do you need? He said, I cannot take this person at work. I cannot handle this neighbor. I cannot. God says, okay, how much more will it take? What do you need? You say, that's not fair. I wanted to grumble. And God says, no, 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 don't grumble. Just tell what do you need? Grace be to you. That's available to you today because you're Christ's. If an imperfect dad with limited resources does everything he can for his son because he loves his son, How much more will a heavenly father who did not spare his own son freely give you all things? See what a great God we serve today? I don't want you going out going, oh, I don't know if I can keep up with this. I, I don't know if God's even going to be happy with me. God loves you. His love was so great that even while you were sinning, he could not walk away from you. But don't confuse God's love with God's tolerance for sin. It was very expensive. Grace. Grace for your salvation. Grace for your daily walk. The second thing he says is peace. Peace being freedom from fear. He didn't say freedom from trouble. It means the ability to walk in and trust that God is still in charge. I have peace today. You can have peace today. God's grace today will be, is sufficient, and if you are struggling today, just go back to the bank and get more. And peace, don't walk out of here thinking you're by yourself. Almighty God is with you. I can walk through the same circumstance, the same area, and either be terrified or not worried at all. You know the difference? Who's, who's walking with me at the time? <laughs> oh, to always have eyes to see that my God is always with me. May it bring you joy.